$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, Nash? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023, and I'm your old pal, Joey O'Brien. And I'm Troy, switching my headphones live, LaValley. Just happened, man. I went live, and you're not even in the seat. Yeah, you know, I was like, shit, I don't want to wear my my big over-the-ear headphones when I've got these cool, lightweight ones, but I already heard the music going. I'm like, ah, this will be fun. Here we are. <laughs> Let's roll the dice. Let's roll the dice. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that you might uh, you might not make it as a news anchor in this town. You can't you can't just drop off camera the second the show goes live. This just in. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see a news anchor do that sometime. Like oh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm hearing something from my producer. I do whatever I feel like. This just in. Do whatever I feel like. Troy, uh, we have just returned, uh, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, <coughs> from PAX Unplugged. Three straight days of uh, hot, sweaty gaming. Yeah. And uh, it, has, uh, it has dried out my throat. I don't have any con crud. I'm not sick, but I am well, I'm dried out. It doesn't hit you out. the first day. You'll give it to like, uh, you know, a couple days afterwards, then you'll know. Yeah, but what about you? You were like, on the last day, you got up and you were like, I'm 100% sick. <laughs> I just always feel sick this time of year. <laughs> I treat my body like a truck stop toilet. Uh, yeah, no, I feel I feel good. I feel good. I'm tired. Okay. I'm I'm very very tired. But yeah. uh, that's because I was up late watching Hallmark movies. Um, Cons are exhausting, man. They're fun, but they are exhausting. It's so funny because we, from back in the day when we used to go, we it would be impossible to not stay up all night partying and then game all day. You know. And I was so tired all day, every day at those cons back then. And now uh, we're staying, we're not staying up as late. We do have some more work stuff to do, but it doesn't change the feeling. I was talking to Paula Demi about this, who is there. That like when you're at the con, I just feel so freaking tired the whole time I'm there and I'm trying to like push through and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's everybody at a con. You just constantly feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I wish I could just feel great. Every day, all day, uh, but I, I suppose I'd have to go to bed at seven thirty. 
Yeah, I don't know. This was a weird con and that like right when I walked in on Friday, because I went for a little bit before we had our call at the show, I was like, I feel like I've been to 50 of these this year. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing here? Uh, and, uh, you know, then we, after the show was done Friday night, we got to go back on Saturday and, you know, we had, we had a lot of fun, um, actually just playing a game, uh, yeah, for about yeah. six hours. And so that, that was nice. But, uh, I, I remember just being like, I, I'm I'm ready to take a break now for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I also think that you are in a unique position in that uh, people don't do what you get to do now, right? Like that you <laughs> just get to fly to all these cons every year. Like yeah. the average consumer, which we used to be in this realm, was you went to the one that was close to you, right, once a year. And it was like, yes, it's here. Yeah. And all that. And that's sh- whereas like us, we're seeing a lot of stuff that was at Gen Con, right? So it's just kind of like making its way to the East Coast. And uh, and the everything isn't so new and flashy, you know, at every yeah. single con. So it's kind of, yes, I feel like. There was nothing that blew my mind on the floor, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, what I was looking for. I'm always walking around being like, oh, where is it? I, I, I have everything here. <laughs> There's nothing here I don't have or could get from with like a phone call. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I brought my kids for the first time. That yeah, was awesome. Was that? It was really fun. I mean, they had an even shorter fuse than I did. You know, like after a few hours, you could do the overstimulation. It was just like... You know, ah, and you're like, we got to walk away here for a little bit because you want to buy everything. You want to play everything. Yeah. You know, and sometimes as a kid, you don't know how to manage those expectations. Right. But we had a great time, but it really did highlight for me. So last year and the years previous, I was there and I was like, man, there's so much stuff for kids here. I got to bring my kids. Then I get my kids there. And man, does it highlight for me how much adult stuff is there and how little <laughs> stuff is really for kids. Because like, yeah. you're walking around and at one point, my daughter was really frustrated. She was like, it's all just grown up games, you know? And like, <laughs> while you can teach, you, you know, a seven year old to play grown up games, it's, it's hard to walk up to a demo booth for like a 14 plus game and, and have them just understand what's happening, right? It's like, you see how many games are deeply complicated strategy games. And I was like, okay, all right, well, let's just go to the games library and get something that says six plus and, uh, and we'll play that. And well, we did that and we had a great time. It was yeah. Awesome. Like on Saturday, we all played root. You brought your copy of root. You were really excited to find some nerds to play it with. And so me, you and Kate and Sydney, eventually Matthew, uh, played played root and i we had so much fun and i was like well i mean i would love to buy that and i it would just sit unopened in my closet because i couldn't teach this to my wife my in-laws no. nothing you know I, I got them playing wingspan and we played a bunch this summer like right after uh, our seattle trip we went to a game store and you were like oh this is a great game wingspan we played nine games of that and then we all <laughs> went and bought it and i'm like yeah. this game I couldn't teach to anyone. <laughs> no, it's for so real. Hard. For real. It is like, it is not for the uninitiated. I joked yeah. with a buddy that if I tried to teach one of my neighbors in town here to play it, they might never talk to me again or like <laughs> invite me to another board game night because you'd be like, how dare you think that I would enjoy this? <laughs> I don't so think we intense. could teach it to Skid. <laughs> no, Skid sat there. I was so funny. Skid sat there. He watched. He asked for all the details. As we were taking turns, he was engaged. He was like creating emergent <laughs> story out of it like he always does. He was having a great time. And then Kate was like, I'm not mentally, I can't mentally play a second game. 
We're like, Skid, you want to jump in and play? And he was like, no. <laughs> no, not at all. So, yeah, yeah, it was just so funny. He was like, no, this sounds miserable. <laughs> like, it was really complicated, but great. We loved it. We had a great time. Yeah. Uh, the show was awesome. The The Philly show was great. Thanks, everybody who showed up there. Uh, it was way too hot in that room. Talking to McDermott in our morning meeting this morning, he said... What did he compare it to? So infuriating, man. It's so He said that it was like, he's like, I guess the vibe the venue was going for was 12 angry men, like Louisiana courtroom <laughs> in the 50s. Like, <laughs> like that seemed to be the vibe. It's it must so be a corporate hot. policy because Chicago and St. Louis were hot, but like we mitigated it with fans and like telling them well in advance. And we asked them to cool it off this time. And it was really cool backstage, but out there it's just uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable. Yeah. But beyond well, that, and they I kept mean, saying it's show. because they're part of a mall and they don't do the HVAC. The mall does the HVAC. It was like a whole thing, but that was a bummer. But otherwise, uh, the show is great. Thanks everybody who persevered and hung out with that, uh, with us in that steamy VIP after party. <laughs> uh, we're going to hit a couple quick. Uh, news bits here and then jump right into episode 11 GCP. Of course, we got We Are Stupid, lots of that. Little up, uh, up uh, remaster update and then we'll get out of here on listener mail. So uh, one of the news things that kind of dropped right at the show was the cast dice. The yep. cast dice have dropped. This is something we mentioned in the GCP if anybody, uh, uh, campaign two, if anybody picked up on that but uh we have negotiated with well, our sponsor norris foundry to create individual dice for every performer uh once again this time though uh new campaign two dice individual gem dice for each player with their own unique custom crafted wood box that has their own engraving on it which uh, you got one there yeah i got mine you so got this, this is what happened we had uh angeline who does all the art for our tour uh create uh unique individual designs for each of the boxes so there's a kate box a joe box kid box and in order to get each person's dice set it, it, it's it's only linked to the box you can't get a kate, bo kate box with skid dice can't do it so we, everything is like down to the wire and uh our buddies in north foundry like we got them they're ready to go and uh we opened them all up uh like at three o'clock the day of the show and it's everything except troy and joe dice <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're like uh, what? it just like fell off a of ups truck lost in shipping yeah yeah so the skid and matthew and Caden sydney dice were on sale at the show the rest will be putting up soon somewhere so and keep then, an eye on the store yeah and the joe and troy dice will be coming but we have the joe and troy boxes so this is the troy box you can see uh i don't know how i can do there it's kind oh, of like a, a beer bottle with some christmas um, i gotta like I'm teaching a karate class with the opposite hand. <laughs> uh, it's like a beer bottle with some Christmassy cocktail-y things and the water's coming out and uh, a D20 is rolling out of it. They're all really, it's really a very unique. very cool design, yeah. Uh, and everyone sort of contributed to the design idea and then Angeline just did their magic. Yep. So uh, look for that. Keep an eye out on the on this store. They should be coming up soon. So so yeah. keep an eye out on the, the web store for those to hit, for those to drop. Uh, one more thing before we go into the episode. I just want to give you guys a save the date, Nish. I want you to save Ooh. the date if you are a fan of Blood of the Wild. Blood of the Wild is going to have a little Christmas party, a little cast Christmas party, because <laughs> we can't be together. So we're going to get together live uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Save the date, Friday, December 29th. 
Friday, December 29th, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We're actually going to go live on our Twitch channel and uh, just hang out. <laughs> so we're just going to talk. We're going to talk about this first year of Blood of the Wild, and uh, and we'd love to interact live with you guys. So if you're listening to Blood of the Wild, make sure you get caught up and uh, and listen all the way up through uh, that week of Christmas. And then uh, on December 29th, we're all going to hang out live. So save the date, more details to, to follow on that. Let's talk about the Glass Cannon Podcast. Campaign 2, <laughs> Episode 11. I... Really enjoyed this app. I mean, it always seems weird for us to talk about our own episodes. But <laughs> but here's the thing. Cannon Fodder was born originally out of this idea of we do this anyway. We would always like hash yeah. out episodes after the fact, say what we liked, say what we didn't. And I really liked how this combat developed, how it was set up. And I think there was a lot of really fun energy and comedy between the players as, as we were getting into it, uh, you know, uh, just making fun of each other. <laughs> and you can tell that everybody is really starting to sink in to working with each other, right. Mm -hmm. In this show, because there's a lot of like, Oh, Sydney always does this. And Kate always does this. And so it takes a long time to develop those kind of habits where you can understand how people play and then poke fun. You know, when the situation presents itself, this episode, I thought showcased that a lot. Let's talk about the encounter to start, which is a dream spider over top of this room that we're in with it, with another Oak steward. And we begin by seeing this ladder being pulled up mm. uh, out of the room. Talk to me about the opening of that encounter. I want some behind the scenes knowledge here and don't BS me. Just give me the straight juice. Like, <laughs> is this encounter designed to start in this way? Is there a, a, a way that you can surprise them and they don't pull the ladder up or did they hear us? Did they make rolls? How is this encounter supposed to start and uh, how did it, if it was different, what what changed in our playthrough? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact thing that happened, like the core. I don't know if you, I had you all roll perception or if I was doing secret perceptions. I can't remember what I did. I think I, I think I end up doing secret perceptions for all of you, basically. Now, where there's no surprise rounds anymore, uh, as written, I just wanted to see whether or not anyone would notice this happening, the ladder mm -hmm. being pulled up. Because yeah. as, as written, uh, it kind of like baits you into the room. Uh, or like waits till you're exploring the room and starts to pull the ladder up. But I figure okay, like, so that's in it. That's part of it. it. Yeah. That, was, that was a cool encounter design. Like the first thing you see is a ladder being pulled up. Right. What like, do what's you going do? on up there? Right. Yeah. And uh, so especially where they both have ranged abilities, it makes it would have made it really tough if that ladder got up there. But I'm thinking like that's going to make noise. I, I think maybe in the past and I'm sure people would run it this way. It's just like. You notice the ladder gets pulled up. Roll for initiative. Mm -hmm. But in this was like, I'm starting to pull the ladder up. And I think uh, Lucky and maybe Zephyr heard or succeeded on the perception check. I can't remember what it was. And so now it's down to initiative. If I roll a higher initiative, that ladder's going up. That's right. it. Game over. But how much more interesting is it? Uh, and it just kind of worked out this way that Lucky's like, I run and jump on the ladder. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So this is what it's going to be. It was great. It was a great little discovery in that moment. And then, of course, it's still kind of a tug of war until Zephyr jumps on. And then that's enough weight to pull it down. And, he just and it was very interesting it. because Zephyr is in a position where she is like, and, and this is something that I've dealt with as a ranger in the past. Uh, she's a monk, but like, uh, Lork was kind of a switch hitter ranger, they called him uh, in, in first edition, which was 
could could competently use a bow, could competently use a melee weapon. And when you get into these like dungeon crawly kind of things where it's all these small rooms, your bow gets harder and harder to use. And in Tui, the volley property, volley trait has really uh, it really encourages you to not use a longbow in a 15 foot by 20 foot room. Like they're just like this isn't a feasible thing. So Zephyr had stowed the bow. Contrary to how she had originally started this whole dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. And uh, those free hands are actually what allowed her to jump on the ladder in one action, grab it and pull it down. So I thought that that was cool. Yeah. And she didn't have to leave her bow behind. It was just already kind of kind of strapped to her back. But um, all right. So let's talk. Uh, oh, I'm going to do something here. I don't even know. <laughs> I just realized this might this might be a problem. But you know what? I'm 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 committed uh, and I'm doing it. Committed and to the bit. You're just going to have to deal with it. I'm committed to the bit. Uh, I want to. I want to go on Demi Plane and and show you a Dream Spider because I found it on Demi Plane. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, let's just look at some of these stats here. Because cool uh, looking spider. Wh- where does the? It's a very cool looking spider. Where does it? Uh, where does it come from? Do you know? Did, did it say um, in the book? Was it from the book or was it like a? Uh, yeah, but that's information you don't have yet. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Well, yeah. I just meant the Dream Spider, like, like design. Where, where they like generally book. come from. What, you know, was it a, because I remember Dream Spiders in, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Emerald Spire. They were in Emerald Spire. So they? they've been around. Uh, but right, yeah, so a I mutual small animal, just looking at some of its stats here. Uh, I'm reading here what, uh, to see if there's something I can tell you. Yeah, no, you're still trying to figure out, uh, what, how this came to be but in terms of like the etymology of the dream spider just keep scanning on there you'll you'll see uh oh yeah yeah a dream spider's webs have iridescent blue hues and are infused with the same hallucinogenic compound as the as the creature's toxin so this toxin what it was doing to us was not immobilizing immobilizing no that was the web oh it was making us uh, stupefied yeah, it made you stupefied uh, in that in that first round, and we can actually put that up, right? So yeah, it's the dream spider venom. Yeah, you yeah. just jumped out there. It says the shiver addicts, like it's that's where shiver is made from from their venom. Oh, I didn't even realize that. What a cool inset. Yeah, talented alchemist processed dream spider venom into an addictive drug called shiver. Uh, now the difference with shiver is you start out being like courageous before you start tripping and pass out. <laughs> right. Um, but oh, that's this one cool. here, you just get stupid, stupid, and then you start taking poison damage. Yeah, it can, it can be pretty nasty. I've definitely heard of Shiver, but I uh, I didn't, um, whatchamacallit, didn't uh, realize it was d- developed from Dream Spider Venom. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like you ran a PFS for us a long time ago where we were, like, stopping a Shiver operation. I remember that, or maybe that was from uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne. There was something where, oh, like, maybe it was. There were these guys that were pushing shiver. I mean, that's how I know it. Yeah, um, but it just it just really surprised me because we've anything that hasn't been an oak steward has been Fey, right? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden there's this dream spider, and it seems almost like a like a companion or something like an animal, like a druid mm-hmm. animal companion. I really don't know what the deal is. Uh, definitely want to find out more about it. But it was a it, I really enjoyed the different levels of the encounter being downstairs from a spider that is shooting webs down at you and immobilizing you while there's an Oak steward up there, just leisurely casting shillelagh. It was a very intimidating, intimidating situation. And, uh, and then Sefer getting stuck on the ladder created good things 
maybe yeah. ranged cover bad things we couldn't get up there right yeah, it was tricky um I, this is what foundry does so well is like having the multiple levels like when lucky went up there and i could switch to a new map that only lucky could see yeah and then it became this like Two, two on one fight and then we go back downstairs you guys have no idea what's going on uh but lucky can see everything it was it was just really fun um like having different levels it's also a testament to how cool this this map layout is for this first part of the adventure like there's just a lot of doors and levels and bridges where you can see other parts of the building but not inside the rooms and yeah it's really, really cool design. We've said it a couple times already in show at this point, how cool the level design is here. And it really does show in, in this one where you just have like a hole in the, in the ceiling, right? <laughs> and, yeah. the, and the only way to get through it is the ladder. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into this, because with all the combat, there was indeed uh, some notes from Professor Eric on sure. things we did right, things we did wrong and uh, some interesting things to discuss. So I'm going to I'm going to jump into We Are Stupid here with I'm going to come right at you, I think. Oh, oh boy. Excuse me. I'm ready. I'm going to come right at you, dude. I got my dukes up. So you, as the Oak Steward, went ahead as Zephyr came up the ladder and you threw up an acid flask. And uh, man, I was cracking up. I mean, this was so classic glass cannon. Like you were like, I throw it right in your mouth. (laughs) And it just evoked such a horrible image. Like, uh, bam, I I pour it right in your face. And, uh, and... Professor Eric uh, uh, brought up that the acid flask itself is actually uh, one point of damage. You roll, you said six points of damage, but it's actually one point of damage and one D6 persistent. So that wouldn't have happened at that time. That ticks later. Uh, here's yeah. an acid flask on Demiplane. Um, it is a, I'm assuming it was a lesser, but it deals uh, one acid damage. And then the persistent acid damage and listed splash damage. So oh, the other and I question, said six damage right out the gate because yeah, I, you, I, I know I think this. you rolled a d six. Okay, and and you said six damage. Oh, that's so weird. I wonder why I did that. And then, if memory serves, so you were unfair to Zephyr there. <laughs> and then, I think not one hundred percent sure. I'm bringing up Foundry to see why I screwed this up. Because, you know, I, since this recording, I've dealt with a lot of uh, alchemists. I've been playing alchemists on Strange Aeons and alchemists, uh, you know, or I don't know if I've done more on this, but I've, I've been reading a lot of like lesser acid flasks, moderate flasks, greater flasks, and seeing like how they work. So seeing that I, I made that mistake surprises me because now I've spent so much time with it. But I'm also just trying to figure out how I fucked that up in the moment. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I definitely know that's how that works. Yeah. Like, and, all and, of them are different. The the Alchemist Fire does one thing. The the Lightning yes. does one thing. And there's as properties that are like hidden. You have to, when you read on the page, like the Lesser Acid Flask or the Moderate Acid Flask will tell you what it does. But also all Acid Flasks do X. And so um, you kind of have to make crib notes for yourself. I'm just trying to figure out how I fucked this up. Yeah, it's it's um like you said, having having a shorthand in notes is, is gonna be very helpful. Um the uh uh the, but the one positive thing that so like it's a little bit negative that you do that am- that damage technically too early. But then I uh you know, I think that you didn't mention it on Zephyr's next turn, right? So uh I don't know if you forget 
that there's this persistent oh. <laughs> damage, but like, you know, we have to forget or well, remember the wash. <laughs> that that's out there. Yeah, exactly. It comes out in the wash. So, so we're all good. Um, Matthew did a treat wounds. This goes back to just before the combat. And he mentioned he doubled his two D eight. And I told him on air that it's four D eight. The difference there, and Professor Eric points it out, it's like, it's fine. You guys caught it on air. But just remember, once your medicine levels up and you are doing 2d8 plus 10, like, you do not double. You just do 4d8 plus 10 on a crit. You don't double the 10, you know. So it's – uh it, it does not get doubled. So it's just important not to get in the habit of doubling but doing but doing double dice. I see why I did that. It's Foundry says 1d6 plus 1 acid. As damage. Really? Yeah. And ah. uh, it's like acid flask, uh, strike plus five, uh, and then uh, 1d6 plus one acid. Was so it a moderate why. flask or something? No, it's a lesser acid flask. It just, uh, that's how it was written here. It's up to me to know that's not how acid flasks work. But as written, it looks just like staff, strike plus six, 1d4 plus two bludgeoning. It looks exactly the same ranged acid flask lesser 1d6 plus one acid. Oh, so, so it's just like a typo basically. Like, yeah, a, because yeah. when I, when I look at the actual book, it just says lesser acid flask. Um, and so, well, but it says damage 1d6 acid plus one acid splash right in the John. Weird. Yeah. So it's, I think it, <laughs> I think it's, a, a do you think you different. caught a mistake on foundry? I mean, they're, the way acid flasks are written in the handbook is different from how it's written both in the adventure and on Foundry. Hmm. Um, so it could be that like they just wanted this to be different <laughs> or uh, maybe they were possible. more potent acid flasks. But here's why I think that that's wrong. Let's go back to uh, let's look at a moderate, right? Like if it was a moderate, you go to a moderate here and it's uh, it's still only one acid damage. And what goes up? is the persistent. And I think that this is very interesting narratively. It's like acid when it hits, doesn't hurt right away, yeah. but it just starts seeping in and then it can be really, really terrifying and damaging. Uh, so as it levels up, it still is only uh, doing more persistent damage, not more initial damage. Yeah. No, it's always one damage and then yeah. it's more splash and more persistent. Um, yeah. But yeah. We may have caught a little error Ooh. or maybe they just wanted to call it something else. Like call it a, an acid uh, envelope Sp spider pee right spider pee uh <laughs> flask uh okay cool well i'm yeah, glad we, we squared that away that's good i'm glad that you stayed persistent with it too you were like i know i didn't make a mistake i know i didn't make no i didn't i don't i'm not stupid you're stupid no stupid <laughs> the book's stupid we're all stupid <laughs> uh, okay, let's do this. All right, so this was a big chunky one that we kind of debated in the episode. If you recall, it was when do you make your save for poisons? Yes. When do the rounds tick, right? On the creature's turn, on the afflicted character's turn. Beginning of the turn, end of the turn. Beginning of the turn, end of the turn, exactly. So there is no answer. There's no straight answer. Uh, Professor Eric lays out that it is vague and that different GMs handle it differently. There are a, a lot of GMs who handle it as persistent damage to make it easier. It occurs on the afflicted creature's turn at the end of their turn. The downside of that is that you can have the first two saves of that poison be a little bit too close together, right? So if it's like you 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 do the first save and then you're the next character to act, what you have to do that again, right? Like it and should if you tick on the creature's turn because then a whole round goes. Exactly. So what uh Professor Eric does is he does it on the creature's turn that executed the the poison, but he does it at the end of their turn. 
He always does it at the end of their turn. He's like, it's just to make it easier to remember because most things that tick in, in across the game happen at the end of turns. So he's like, I, I just do it at the end to make it easier. I also like, he's like, you don't, you definitely don't want to get into the weeds of like, well, it did it on its second action. So does it tick during its second action of the next turn? Right. It's like, just do it at the end of the, at the end of the turn, or you could do it at the, at the beginning as you long should as do it. I, you I think you should do it at the beginning because okay. um, the problem is if you're then exposed to that again, it doesn't, it, it you, you're, it increases the stage. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's, that definitely favors the enemy if you're waiting till the end of the turn, because like, let's say someone gets hit, go, fails, goes to stage one, right? If you now comes back to the creature, if you don't do the save again at the beginning of the turn and that creature bites you again, hits you, you have to then roll again right away because you've been exposed to the poison again. You could be taken to stage two. And now you make your save at the end of it, the creature's turn and it brings you back to stage one when you should have been cured. Um, whereas if you do it at the beginning of the turn, let's say you fell to stage one and then before the creature goes, roll your save, you're cured. And now you get attacked again and you get exposed to the poison and fail. You go back to stage one. So it definitely favors the enemy to wait to the end of the turn. But I think the spirit of the game wants you to do it at the beginning of the, the infecting creature's turn. Yeah. The main reason he says he does it at the end is because it's easy. It's just easier to remember. Sure. Like when it gets to the creature's turn. You sort of do You're thinking as a GM, like you have so much in your head and it's just like, all right, let me execute this creature's actions. Then at the end of its turn, what's the cleanup, right? Yeah. Like what are the, the cleanup steps? Sure. Uh, that's the only reason. So yeah, if you remember to do it at the start of the turn, then yeah, I, I see no reason why it shouldn't be that way. As long as it's maintained in that, consistency um okay yeah and and so that's it on that i think that that's a a good thing for us to try to remember is is tick afflictions on the start of the creature's turn the other reason he said this is a good point that gms do it on the uh character's turn the one positive of that doing it on the afflicted character's turn is that you as the gm do not have to continue to track a dead creature's initiative for the ticking of the poison (laughs) yeah right 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 Right. So, so that can get you in the weeds a little bit. If you're like, all right, I want to get this off my initiative board. This creature's dead. Like, remember, you, you can't do that. Like, you have to, that creature's initiative matters. I wonder if there's just a buried rule that we're all missing. It's like, it seems strange they wouldn't have outlined something that's very, very important. It's like, funny. I don't think that's weird at all because we have know? these discussions every week. Do we? On the I mean, vagueness just, of the rules. Yeah. That seems like an oversight to me, not like a, you do what you want. Like this is, <laughs> this is like all three of those options that we've given beginning or four beginning of a character's turn, end of a character's turn, beginning of an enemy, beginning, all have like wild swings in like the difference <laughs> of how things affect. We'll uh, play so, out. Yeah. It's, it's it, maybe, uh, maybe the remaster has. Hey. Comment on the YouTube video. Yeah, let us if, know. If you know an answer that we're missing, yeah, please write it on the YouTube video. We'll find it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about disarm for a second. So, you know, Lucky wants to disarm this creature. And this just creates a, a bit of a shit show, which uh, I love. I, 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 I read something it. so funny about this. And, like, I don't know if you're going to bring it up. So just remember, if, if you don't, I'll bring it up. Okay. It's just like a Sydney thing that I don't blame her for. It's just, like, so shitty. I'll just okay. say it that like the thing says that it's used to disarm, but the weapon doesn't even have the disarm trait. So she can't use it. Yes. This is exactly <laughs> what I was going. Well, one of the things I was going to say was, and it's so funny you mentioned that because I was going to say exactly that. Uh, I was going to say exactly 
that I don't blame Sydney. Yeah, so no, like, <laughs> if you go to the Kopesh here uh, on Debbie Plane, it's like this curved sickle sword has a pointed tip, allowing it to be swung like a hand axe or thrust like a short sword. The tip of the Kopesh is usually hooked so it can be used to disarm an opponent's shield or weapon. That's a real oversight. <laughs> and yet you can't use it to disarm <laughs> right. an opponent's shield or weapon. What it does have is the trip trait. For whatever reason, you could use this weapon to trip with the athletic skill. Anyway, it seems like an oversight for sure. It's certainly not it's uh, definitely Sydney's an oversight. fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the weapon traits right here trip. Uh, it would have to have the disarm trait to allow you to use it to disarm. So now, funny. you could, I believe, technically use it to disarm, but you would have to have a free hand. And as a two weapon fighter, she doesn't really have that. So she she really needed a weapon with the disarm trait a couple other things during this encounter uh oh and this is where we'll bring up the the uh the remaster because if you recall one of the things that i complained about was and we dealt with this in the um uh was this strange aeons yeah it was strange aeons right where we were dealing with the disarm uh, in like the oh, god scenario sorry i'm just i'm, I'm looking at this angle i'm like this this got to be something wrong with this so the disarm tra- the the disarm action you have at least one the requirements are you have at least one hand free the target can't be more than one size larger than you anyone can do that yeah the only thing the disarm trait gives you is that you don't have to have that hand free right. so i don't think it's an oversight it's just a weapon that can be used to disarm you just you got to do it uh, you know, you got to have a free hit if you want to do it. I think that it is absolutely an oversight. I oh, see I don't no, think so. Why would you write the tip of the Kopesh is usually hooked so it can be used to disarm an opponent's weapon or shield and not have it have the disarm trait? Because the disarm trait just allows you to do it without a, a f- even if you don't have a free hand. So you then why don't you write you can, you can disarm an opponent with a short sword? In every short sword, like, you, you know, can. description. It's just like, this one's really good for it. it just, but it isn't. It doesn't have the trait. <laughs> it has no different. It's no different than a dagger, right? Like, yeah. in terms of mechanically how it works Maybe with Maybe most people don't have a Kopesh and another what something else in the other hand. They're just like, because they know, like, this thing is really good at disarming. <laughs> but it isn't. It has no mechanical benefit to disarming. It is strange. It is strange. It's but very I just strange. want to make sure we made that clear. Like, you can still disarm without a weapon having the disarm trait. I said that. I said okay. that, while, I think, while you were reading. I said okay. that. And yeah. it's just that, like, but her, she, her being a two-weapon fighter, that's what makes it funky, right? Yeah. Like, if you just did it with, uh, if you used the Kopesh one-handed, you could disarm just fine. What if you threw one weapon up into the air, and it just, it's like spinning. <laughs> and while you. second action. To oh. this third action, grab the weapon. I am going to suggest that she do that with Lucky at some point because pretty fucking cool. if she asked and you were like, yeah, use one extra action to do it. That sounds dope. That's pretty badass. And then she kicks the weapon away because she just crit. Because <laughs> speaking of which, you have to crit to disarm the weapon. And this is what drives me nuts. Now, yeah. I agree, completely agree that just rolling a successful athletics check would be overpowered to just knock a weapon out of somebody's hand. I mean, it would just be encounter breaking, right? I get that. The way that the disarm originally worked was that it gave the creature a uh, a minus two circumstance penalty to attacks uh, or other checks to grasp the item and you a plus two circumstance bonus to on further disarm checks until the start of the creature's next turn. And it was like, until the start of the creature's next turn. So that means you have to have the extra actions to try to disarm again, which, by the way, I believe has the attack trait. So, right, you're taking the, the map on that. Mm-hmm. Or you have to have an ally lined up to follow up your disarm with a disarm right away. 
And that person still has to crit before you're going to actually knock that that weapon out. So it makes it kind of like, ugh, you know, why are we even going to try? Well, one update to the remaster, which makes things a little bit more interesting. It's not completely like swung the other way, but they added a very important line. The creature can end the effect by interacting to change its grip on the weapon. The penalty lasts as long as the creature holds the item. So, like, it doesn't reset at the start of the creature's next turn. They have that minus two circumstance bonus to all attempts to disarm until they spend an action to right the weapon. So that's a little bit better. It, it, It forces the creature to have to waste an action or be at risk of uh, having it disarmed, even if it's after its next turn. So uh, that's an interesting tweak that they made to disarm. I like that they made it so that you've really got to like, let's all try to disarm and make it so that 19 people have to gang up because disarming sucks. It sucks. Like it was so easy in giant slayer for like Baron to just boom, shoot him. Sword well, yeah, so that saying, was a gunslinger thing. Yeah. That was just preposterous. <laughs> I, I like, let's make it as hard as possible to disarm. And I, I'm fine with that. And then the, the, you know, the, the thing that I think that in the moment we were overlooking is that minus two, that's huge. That's huge. It's so much more in this. No, game. we said we didn't overlook it. You yeah. said it. Uh, but the problem is it ends at the start of the creature's next turn. Yeah. So the only way it would take the minus two to attack is on an AOO, if it had an AOO. You gotta, right? It has to be timed right. Like you're doing it before the monster attacks and before your friends can admit that you've got to really know the know the rounds and know when to do something like that, when it's even worth doing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't see it working before the remaster. It doesn't work. Like, you know, you in terms of the attack penalty. Like the, the attack penalty, it goes away at the start of the creature's next turn. So it, it's never going to take the attack penalty. But now with the remaster, it has saying, to spend yeah. an action to write the item it's and get rid of that. Penalty. Yeah, that is that is kind of lame. Yeah, but they, they, it's, it's been improved and I'm, I'm happy with the improvement. Okay. Cool. Uh, also, a note, the Kopesh. Uh, I'm sorry. The uh, yeah, the Kopesh is not agile. Uh, I believe we. Oh, she said it. Uh, Sydney said it was agile. I think she was thinking of her other weapon. So we gave her a minus four. On her AOO, or no, not the AOO, the the second attack that she did, and uh, uh, I think she still hit or whatever, but it was just like, uh, it should have been a minus five. Little little tiny thing, but got to have Sid remember that that weapon, though it sounds like an agile weapon and cool, does not actually have the agile trait. Agile trait. <laughs> uh, all right, and then last thing before we get to listener mail is just this, uh, is is climbing the ladder. By the book, you have to have two hands free to climb. There is a feat, Combat Climber, that reduces you to only needing one hand. I play with every player I play with just thinks that they can always do everything with one hand when they have a weapon in their other (laughs) hand. And I I get very like, no, things are complicated. Climbing is a complicated thing, whatever. So he points it out here, Professor Eric, that you do have to use two hands. And so the whole like lucky – Leap up the ladder, get into the room, attack twice with a weapon. He was just going cross-eyed, I think. I think Professor Eric was like, how on earth are you making this happen? Like, you got to get up there. You have to interact to draw the weapon. Maybe you get one attack in. You certainly don't get two. Um, But, yeah, so that's just something important for us to remember. Two free hands to climb. One action, still one weapon. Second action, still another weapon. Exactly. Or really, free action, drop a weapon. Be like, I'm just going to be one weapon from now. Climb, get up there. Another action to, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is... that's one of those things that as a GM, you're like, 
this doesn't seem like something they're interested in doing. <laughs> and, uh, it's true. It's yeah, true. You got to kind of pick your line. battles. Um, I want everybody to police themselves, but it also like, I think the alternative is she doesn't go up there because she's like, that's too much. That's hamstringing me too much. There's no sense in going up there and it ended up leading to a more exciting combat. So it's just this really tough thing to try and balance with like, you know, staying true to the rules and like trying to do things that make the combat more interesting. I, I don't, I don't really have an answer for it. Like I wish what uh, my ideal answer is like do it the right way and still go up there. Like be bold. Maybe we'll get a hero point out of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, it it's tough. I, I feel like this, this line that we're always walking with two E with any game, this tactical with rule books, this dense with movement and interact rules that are this complicated you have this worry and concern of it constantly stripping away fun ideas, right? It being like, oh, it's grinding. The but what I think is people have to stop thinking that you just do whatever you want in your round narratively and, and start thinking of the actual complications that come with these things in a physical universe with rules mm. and – and then make that narrative, you know, because that is really interesting to me. People be like, oh, it's so much less interesting. She couldn't even get up there then that round. It's like, well, make it interesting. You know, yeah. it's like I sheathe my weapons and I start climbing up. That's my round. It takes three seconds. You know, it gives the enemy an advantage. Things are tense, you know, like it, 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 instead of complaining about how many actions it took you and dragging everything to a halt, it's like just – Go with the narrative element that the rules put you into, and it feels more realistic and fun in in the way that it it gave you a a. It's not even a disadvantage. It's just, you know, it takes you one more round to get up there. What's the big deal? You know, a couple more pot shots. Oh, you get to, you get stuck. Well, then it creates even a better show, right? Like if, yeah. if now two of them are immobilized, how are we ever going to get to these people? It just creates better drama. Uh, so, and then when the heroics come out, they're that much bigger. So anyway, yeah, that's we've my, always, my two cents on it. We've always talked about this before. It's like make the game harder on yourself and, and not like uh, um, just for the sake of being harder on yourself, but like assume that everything is more difficult to do than you assume, you know, like climbing. Yeah. It makes sense. You're like, I'm, I'm holding, I, I can open a door with something in my hand. I can do that. Be like, okay, well, maybe you can't and then so how do you work within those constraints and it's tricky you know some people just right, don't how about this how about a um how about like a a 12 foot ladder right up the side of your house mm -hmm. and uh a, a can of paint in one of your hands right we've done that you, yeah. you, you got to do it you, you, you hold on do you think you could do that while people are shooting shit at you? Right? Like like in the ha in the harried hecticness of combat, do you think that you'd have a good grip on that ladder and would fly up there at full speed? You know what I mean? Like yeah. even even I have to go half speed when I'm holding something and I'm not having uh, arrows shot at me. So uh, I do think that this is an interesting like that's why there's a feat and it's called combat climber. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you know how to climb in combat. So that means you can do it with one hand. You can do it easily. Uh, and then uh, I believe Professor Eric uh, believes that cat folk get a climb speed at fifth level. So oh, like, cool. yeah, at fifth level, this all becomes easier for you. Okay. But early on, we got to grind it out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just, I just think that that, uh, thanks for pointing that out, Eric. And I, I just think that that's, uh, that's one of those interesting things because I think we all at times find ourselves being like, and you've done this, I know, been like, 
God, like you just see it and you're like, I'm one action shy yeah in the economy and it throws the whole round off for you and like i get it i get that frustration i've been there try to just oh instead of changing the whole strategy and grinding everything down to a halt to make the perfect turn like just do a little bit less that round and then yeah. save it up for next round uh where you can so yeah i agree i agree anyway, uh fun times let's do a little listener mail and then we'll get on the road <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 It's time for Thank you so much, Nicholas. All right, this one from Andrew in Minnesota. What's up, Andrew? Uh, so, thanks for thanks for writing in. Uh, this one, uh, I, I just I had to throw this out there because as you, Troy, are now getting deeper and deeper into recording season two of Time for Chaos. Mm. Uh, I thought this one was appropriate. How much should my players be responsible for remembering in a long-term campaign? (laughs) We play once a month for about a five-hour session. I send emails of recaps to recap sessions. I have a Google Drive sheet with all the recaps. I do a last-time recap before we start each session, and all I get are blank stares and crickets. (laughs) Do I need... To, do I need to not play with stoners or do you have any tips? Uh, it's a great question, Andrew. Great question. I, I certainly don't have an answer to that age old problem uh, for, for GMs. I think we all suffer from it to a certain extent. I just wanted to tell Andrew, uh, I feel you. I, I, I commiserate. It is in Delta Green, it's the same thing. And I, I feel like players are good about focusing on their characters and their characters emotions and their characters development and their interaction with the other characters they're doing a lot of work there and that's important and that will give lifeblood to a a story that you're telling not necessarily the clues the clues aren't the lifeblood of a game it's really the the players interactions with each other and as long as they're as long as they care about their characters and want that to shine you're going to be okay but I'm just amazed at like when I put clues on a board, uh, you know, on our VTT and just let people they're there the whole season. You can look, you can relook, you can talk about you and no one ever looks at anything. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's just amazing. It's amazing to me. Uh, what are your thoughts as you head into it? You know, as you get started on this next season of Time for Cast, how much actual recapping did, did you do behind the scenes with the players? Uh, none. I did no, no recapping. I had a big recap for uh, the season uh, season two premiere, which will be out okay. eventually. Uh, so I did a big recap. Did it get, like on air? Yeah. Yeah, on air. And like I, I have the added benefit of uh, Michael, who works with us, uh, is backstage for every recording and like is writing recaps of the stuff that goes out to the players. Uh, you know, or he'll send it to me afterwards and then I'll like add a couple things, rewrite it a little bit and I'll send it to the players after each session just to remind everybody, Oh, you took this. I mean, it's great. Michael like will be like, you took this much sanity. You were indefinitely insane or this wow, or that. Wow. Uh, here's That's some important. things that you learned and, uh, you know, some books that you found here, are the names of those books and everything. And so it's great. It's actually very helpful for me. Even as I was preparing for season two, I would go back and look at like old recaps and be like, Hey, who found that book? Who started reading that tome? Um, so it's super helpful. And like when I look at the VTT that we have for time for chaos, there's so much shit there. I mean, in episode like six, once they got to New York, it was just like a dump of 12 uh, news articles. And I always think like, 
Anybody ever go back and read those? There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, but then I, it's not like I'm sitting there pouring over the get in the truck one. So I have to practice what I preach. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tricky. It's a lot of information. I just came to the realization a long time ago that everyone in, engages in games in different ways. And mm-hmm. some people are really into, um, being on top of their studying and, and, and other people just want to, play games and uh oh yeah i forgot about that and i think that like i've kind of fallen into that um as a player because i don't play anymore like i I, there's a part of me that always wishes i could start over again at like a a first level character and really like like first day of school i show up with my pencils sharpened and i'm all right (laughs) i'm taking excellent notes but like stick with it um and i just i don't um and it sucks so i can't ask the other players to do that as well but it is frustrating um you know that's why i've also gotten used to just like when i throw something out there and see like stone face reaction give it a moment and then be like now if you remember uh, you spoke to someone because it's like, I'm not going to just not like punish you because you don't know how important this information is. That was going to be my next point. It's yeah. like, yeah. And I think you said it even better because you took it to a higher level of gaming in general, which is a very important note. People don't all play games the way you do or the way you want to, meaning you, the Royal, you all GMs out there, the way we approach it. People don't care about the same things necessarily that you care about. And you are in the business of catering to your players in in some way like yes i i do agree that they they don't necessarily have all the power Mm -hmm. however you you're the captain of that ship and if you don't want you know a mutiny you got to kind of meet them halfway and if they're the kind of players that just want to show up and play maybe you don't do a campaign you know (laughs) what i mean is this are you doing a long-term campaign because that's what you want is it is it something that they really want, but they're not doing the work? I mean, that, you know, that's tough that yeah, you got to deal with that. But maybe you could play these same characters over the course of modules, right? Like moving yeah. through modules that have shorter times that you have to remember certain um, details. And but you still get the process of improving and leveling up your character. Character advancement is still part of it. Uh, I, I think, you know, you can kind of go that way. If not, then you got to do what Troy says, which is and I do this. Plenty in Delta Green. Like, (laughs) this is the person that first talked to you at the blah, blah, blah. You read this name in the city registrar's office on the back of a blueprint of of the building. You know what I mean? Like, dude, Nick Lowe in Legacy of the Ancients is uncanny with his note taking. He's unbelievable. (laughs) He has fun doing that. One of the, the biggest things that gets him geeked up is scrolling back and being like, wait, 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 wait. This person was mentioned to us It blah, blah, blah. And then he always gets bottle caps for it because it's great work, you know, and it, he has fun doing it. I don't have fun doing that. I just like to show up and play. So I, I get both sides for sure. Yeah. And sometimes you maybe you you realize as a player that this might not be the game for you because it doesn't it's not fair. There was a certain point towards the um, end of season one of Legacy when I was playing Rhapsody Kincaid where I had no idea who the enemy was we were fighting and like people kept talking about something. And I was like, Hmm, I think, I think this is one of the reasons why I was like, I think I'm, I might want to replace myself on this show with someone who's going to be more engaged than I am because I felt like I was engaged and I was just missing key things. And it was one of those like realizations, like maybe you got to pull yourself out of the game because you're, you're not doing a, 
a service to the people around you and the and the, the GM who worked so hard. Dude, I can remember back in our Jade Regent pre-Glass Cannon days having a night where I was like, you guys realize how hard I'm working to prepare this? <laughs> and you guys are just like half-assing everything. You have no idea what's going on. You're not prepared. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, now we can now we can move on with playing. I just needed to say that. It's not like anything really changed, <laughs> but sometimes you just have to like have that outburst. Um, it's hard. As a GM, you feel like you're constantly like working your ass off to create this great stuff. And it's one thing if you don't get reactions because when you do your little GM scene, but it's another thing when you're like, how do they not know who this fucking guy is? We've been talking about him. You know, but you just, you can't get mad. You can't get too mad about it. And if it's just one player who's, who's like, uh, always the one that's like, who you got to, you got to decide for yourself. Does it bother you enough that you want to address it? Or do you want to move on and addressing? It could be, you know, getting rid of that player or sitting down and be like, Hey man, how do you, I feel like you're not really paying attention. And they might be like, no, I, I am. I just, I really, I'm really enjoying the game. I just hate taking notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be it too. The the key there is you don't necessarily need to say, um, "What's going on with you, man?" Blah blah. You know, <laughs> then even though that's what you're thinking, hundred percent. What you need to say is like, "What do you enjoy about this game? Like, yeah. why do you want to play?" And and that's the only question you need to ask. And when they lay out what they like and what they want to do. Then it's clear. You got to do more of that, less of the other stuff. If you got players that don't, don't care that much about all the details, do do less work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, handhold them, railroad them in certain places. Who cares? Because if, if they're not going to do the work, you don't have to do all the work. You know, uh, it's kind of an interesting balance. But I do like the idea of, you know, shorter form adventures with the same characters. Uh, you know, the heroes who move from town to town doing these different missions, uh, PFS style, can rid you of some of that need for m- remembering long-term details. But anyway, Andrew, thank you for the question. We get it. We certainly get it. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of GMs out there that do. Uh, but players going to play, man. Players going to play. play. <laughs> players going to play. It is what it is. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. That's going to do it for for us this week. Uh, let's, uh, let's get on out of here and... Uh, I don't know. Get back to work. We actually have multiple things that we're working on. I'm actually like, doing some like, reading right exactly now. Exactly. This week that we can't talk about. Reading. Oh! What if you're watching the video? Oh, you might see some deets. <laughs> Holy. All right, guys. Big week this week. Behind the scenes. We'll have more details, hopefully, for you very soon on Fodder. Until then, have a good one, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at jointhenation.com.